Weekday mornings from 10 till 12. This is KCLR Live. We have Robbie Dowling here and we have Edwina Grace. Folks, how's the form? I should look deflated, but I think we're all in agreement the better the better side won. And if we were going to lose to any team, you know, losing to that Limerick team, there was certainly no shame. Um, I was at home, Robbie was at the game, but mm-hmm. I think the atmosphere is probably the same across the country, Robbie. Yeah, it, it was very strange. I, I know a lot of people have said it was a great atmosphere. Um, and, and it was, All-Ireland final day always is, but... As that second half progressed, it became incredibly flat from a Kilkenny perspective. And Limerick fans, they were making noise, but they were nearly in awe of what they were watching. Mm-hmm. It was nearly the apex of this team. And this is one of the greatest teams of all time. And it was a sight to behold if you were neutral. But from a Kilkenny perspective, as Edwina perfectly articulated there, the word is deflated. Because you just can't help but feel that we were beaten by a better side, which is tough to take but you can't accept it but you know I, I love that we are able to accept that and that Derek Ling was able to come out and say the better team won and that's exactly what happened but I'd say Robbie there was so much to watch in that when Limerick got fired up and they were coming point after point after point you, you hardly could follow the action let alone react to it really it, it was strange and uh, that's the word again Una react there was almost no time to react it, it seemed to just happen it was almost you looked at the scoreboard Kilkenny were three or four points up after that Paddy Deegan goal and all of a sudden Limerick had a six point lead and you kind of knew the game was over at that point I remember Limerick raced into a four point lead TJ Reid got a free and the person I was sitting next to I just kept telling them if we can keep it within one score till the end there's a chance but we couldn't and the reason for that is simply because Limerick are spectacular in every way and as I say you have to admire what you're seeing too and you have to appreciate that what we're looking at isn't just any team it's truly remarkable it's the greatest hurling team on a par with the Kilkenny team of the 2000s it's hard to separate them I certainly wouldn't go about doing that but five Munster titles in a row four All-Ireland titles in a row five out of the last six they're coming up against really good teams the likes of Kilkenny the likes of Galway over the last number of years and obviously how competitive the Munster Championship is and they're not with ease but relatively easily are swatting away those sides they really are exceptional Edwina any idea what John Kiley says in the dressing room to bring them out with such force in that third quarter match after match it's incredible No and you know this was the fear from the the black and amber side Una that uh, they'd go into the dressing room and that they'd come out no matter what lead Kilkenny might have and and did have on them uh, at that point that Limerick would come out and their stamina and their power and their legs because they looked like they were waning a little bit towards the end I I thought of the first half but yeah no they did exactly what a lot of us thought they might do they came out in that second half and they just went for it and like that it looked like even the Kilkenny players were a bit stunned because it was just pop 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 you know and they were it was just it was just too difficult to, to catch up on that and I think the real irony being that Deegan's goal just fired them up like yeah. from that moment on it was just I thought this is going to be the turning point and it was but not as I expected at all I think that's a really good point because usually a goal like that you were thinking if Kilkenny could get a goal early in the second half you would have thought they were in business but another word I think you'd use is the lack of belief Limerick give you you never really feel comfortable with them you never feel as though you have the momentum in the game because they just seem to be able to snatch it away from you at the drop of a coin and as I said they have every single thing that you would want in a team but more importantly they have the mentality because a lot of teams would have buckled yesterday Kilkenny historically of course are the greatest hurling county there is and that can weigh on teams in the biggest day of them all didn't weigh on Limerick at all there really I, I, there's not enough superlative to describe this team they are for me just truly truly great
Well, I think it's lovely that, that you can say that. And by the way, I'm surprised you got home in one piece because the guff you were giving to the Limerick supporters <laughs> before the match. I had to get the Kilkenny fans going. We needed everything that we, we could. We needed the supporters with us. And to be fair, we got the supporters with us. We got a couple of calls in the first half. They got a couple of calls in the second half. But the referee had a really good game. You could not look at him did. at all. John Keenan, to be fair to him, a great appointment and a great job he did. But just from it, it would leave you empty I will say that Una because I think last year there was a feeling we're getting very close to Limerick we only lost by two points we put it up to them and come next year this team will be ready and you know it's nine points it's worse this year and it does feel you can't help but feel that we have drifted further back when a lot of people thought we were getting even closer this year before the match and this will come to an end sooner than people expect it's hard to say that today you don't think that's going to happen but they they're not going to go on this eight nine ten in a row that some people are talking about it will it will come to an end in a year or two i guarantee that nearly whether Kilkenny will be there or not is another question because it is hard to come back from two consecutive All-Ireland final defeats to the same team It is Do you want to do an early call on are they going to get that five in a row Robbie? A lot of things can happen Declan Hannon and Sean Finn were injured yesterday if you double the injury tally say there's four or five players missing for an All-Ireland semi-final or final next year things change again so you cannot call it a day after the All-Ireland final of this year what I would say is all things being equal everybody being fit everything running smoothly for Limerick which doesn't always happen and strange things can happen in a year it looks like there's a, ma- there's a there's not a massive margin but there's a wide enough gap between Limerick and the chasing pack to think that one year won't be enough to make it up and then you have to look at the, those in the chasing pack who will actually still be there at this time next yeah. year you know, for for each county, who will lose what player mm. over the next uh, couple of months? You know, Eddie Brennan had um, an article in the paper this morning, and he was saying that Ling had some really tough decisions to make. Actually, will we hear from Ling? Do we have a little bit of of audio from Ling from yesterday? It's not enjoyable anyway. It's 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 you know you're you're trying you're trying to look at making a few changes, see can you you know stop stop the momentum in some shape or fashion and. Like we've got a great bounce from our bench all year, and again, lads came on today. Some some were forced really. We had a couple of injuries, a couple of bangs. Lads took heavy knocks as well, so it's difficult. It's difficult, but we just didn't do enough to maybe you know um, around that time just to get a score or two, maybe just to stop it. I must say, I thought he was extremely gracious in defeat, wasn't he? Like everything he said afterwards, including that little piece there, was was generous. Yeah, he's so humble. I think Adrian would agree with me. He's a he's a great representative of hurling in the county but also of the county and um, you couldn't meet a nicer gentleman I was so disappointed for Kilkenny obviously as a Kilkenny supporter yesterday and for all the players but particularly for him I think he's given so much to Kilkenny hurling and in a way even though Brian Cody is the greatest there, there has been he's kind of rejuvenated in, in a sense and there's a there's a great feeling of freshness about the place um, so I did feel desperately disappointed for him yesterday but again so humble a lot of managers and you know we've seen it throughout the year where some managers will look at officials and look at different things he didn't he just called it as it was and he said the best team won on the day and that Kenny will be back and both of those things are very true and of course he knows what it's like as well Derek Ling having come up through the ranks himself yeah. you know and what an achievement for him as a first year as manager to, to help get the team there to an All-Ireland final Absolutely. You know, quite significant and I would say don't underestimate how difficult that is to step into those mm. massive shoes that's not easy and he just did it very coolly very much his own man 
and brought them right to the to the end, which was a phenomenal achievement, as you say, Robbie. That's a really good point, Una, because I, I actually spoke about it with um, the former chief sports writer with Irish Independent, Vincent Hogan, at the weekend. And I kind of asked him, why, why is that the case that maybe Brian Cody's shadow hasn't loomed over Derek Ling? And he said it was probably a combination of, we're just like that in Kilkenny anyway. I don't think we're going to linger on the past too much. And also... It's a, it's kind of the character of Derek Ling. He just stepped into the fold. It wasn't about Brian Cody for him. It was about going in, doing the job, continuing the good work of the past, but bringing his own side to it as well. And he's done that really well. And as Adrena said there, it's not an all-earned title and that's what success is based off in this county. But it has been a very good year and a solid start to his reign in charge. Mm. I think so. Edwina, any other little bits and pieces from you? Were, you were Ooh. fresh off the Black and Amber tour, so <laughs> I do feel for you today because you had all the energy of last week and it, it wasn't the result we wanted and it's no, a bit hard today. It, wa- it wasn't, Una, but you know, I think when you see that team, when you see Limerick, you, as I said earlier, there's just no shame losing to them, you know. You, you kind of realise that you're in the presence of greatness and our lads weren't too far behind you know, so it, that was good to see. We are rejuvenated by the fact that you're looking like a Kilkenny flag this morning. Thank you so <laughs> much. In, yes, in the, the full black and amber Carefully curated. Yes, yes, very, very good, Una. But I suppose the focus now is on the homecoming and it's really difficult. I, I would have um, hosted homecomings both in the market yard and, and I was the last one to host in the market yard and the first to host when it came to Nolan Park. And I would have travelled down some of the years with the with the team as well. And the hardest thing for them is to come back to Kilkenny without the Lee McCarthy because they're disappointed. They feel if they had done this, that or whatever, you know. So the biggest thing that any fan can do if you're a real fan and you're in a position at all is to turn up at UPMC Nolan Park today. Now, the gates will be open from four o'clock. The lads are due uh, on the open top bus roundabout uh, between seven and half seven, we'll say. And realistically, what they've done in the last year amid all the changes and everything else and the battle that they brought to Limerick yesterday and uh, other games as well, you know, how how they they performed so well. The biggest way of saying thank you is to be there and to be cheering as loud as you can. I mean, you know, and really, really welcome them home. You know, when they came home last night, the, there was a, a really busy Langtons and I'm yeah. told Derek Ling uh, again gave an impassioned speech there. Um, I know the mayor, Joe Malone, is hoarse this morning, as are many people, <laughs> because there was a lot of cheering going on. But realistically, the big party and the big celebration is tonight. And while we're not celebrating a win, we're celebrating what's been done over the last uh, year. Over, and over loads the campaign, to celebrate. You know? I mean, there was lots of hope in that first half and that was a really joyous, mm. wasn't it, for us to watch, even that was really joyous. Um, Ethan was telling me that all public car parking is free in Kilkenny this afternoon, so that might be a bit of encouragement for people to come on in. Yeah, from four and there's a, a special rate as well at the McDonough Junction Shopping Centre car park too for the three hours up to about half nine. The proceedings, typically, they get underway at four o'clock, Una, um, and it's good to get in, get your seat and, and everything at UPMC Nolan Park and there'll be entertainment. You've got the likes of Sean Carl, who people know as MC Carlo. You've got the Kilkennys, who are just brilliant at getting a crowd going and that rousing, you know, kind of atmosphere. And you've also got Burnchurch, who penned the song, uh, which, OK, you know, it's not coming home. No. But the team, the team, <laughs> they're coming home. So they're coming home. So let's focus on that. Uh, they'll be re- showing a repeat of um, the match as well, typically on, on the screens. And then the lads will come on the open top bus from Kilkenny Castle up through the street. So there will be temporary rolling kind of closures for motorists in and around Kilkenny City. They won't be that long. So please do be patient if you're in and around. The bus will come from Kilkenny Castle 
through the parade up Rosin Street. So they're coming essentially the wrong way because Rosin Street, as many people know, has been one way for the last while. They'll come over up Rosin Street, over um, John's Bridge and up to, to Nolan. Um, so, yeah, if you can get in there, they're due there, as I say, between seven and half seven. And then there'll be a few speeches. I understand the politicians are staying back, even though it's been organised by the county council that the speeches are more going to be focused um, on the on the uh, management and, and all of that. And everything should be done and dusted by about half eight. So okay. you'll be you'll be out and everything. Yeah. Well, there's lots of lots to attract people. I think Burnchurch, mm. um, the Kilkenny's. It, it'll be a great night out, and the lads really deserve it. And if Eddie Brennan is to be mm. believed, and uh, some of our players maybe won't get a chance to to talk out next year, it's a, it's a lovely opportunity to say goodbye to them and to thank them and await what happens. Absolutely. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think um, it'll be interesting to see who does return. But yeah. I think hopefully we see more Kilkenny legends return for 2024. Okay, well, speaking of legends, thank you so much to Robbie and to Edwina for coming into studio this morning. Una, before Robbie goes, I just want to ask him, Robbie, have you ever seen the net in Croke Park being cable tied? <laughs> no. I've I, never I, I, seen anything <laughs> like it. I thought it was a sign. I thought, this is how good we're hitting the ball. We're breaking the net now. i never even seen the great Kilkenny teams do that. But look. Uh, and seemingly he had so to to the crowd. Yeah, yeah oh God, no. The, the, yeah. Where, where I was and where most yeah. people were, I was chatting to some of the, the lads in the office there. Didn't even know it was a goal. Yeah. Any idea what kind of speed that ball went through that net at? Not a clue. I would say very fast though. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, having a clue. But look, he got it in the back of the net, but it wasn't to be for Kilkenny. It wasn't to be, but it was super and to see your man out fixing the net afterwards <laughs> it's very it was strange just, yeah. it, was brilliant, though. it was peculiar you don't expect <laughs> no yeah all <laughs> Ireland hurling Sunday it was great just have a text in here for um, from Dipna and Damien in Piltown they just want to say a sad day for the Cats but by God are we 100% proud of all the lads mm-hmm. and Derek Ling and his backroom team they sure played out of their skins yesterday and we here in Piltown are certainly are certain that they'll be back next year up the cats forever. Oh, and do you know what I like as well? I was chatting to some Limerick people who are living locally and they were saying they're really, really delighted that Limerick won, but they're, it, 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 there's a different vibe. They don't want to rub the, the noses or, you know, uh, of, of the black and amber fans like uh, Colin O'Hearn, who's the general manager of the Kenny Ormond Hotel. He's a Limerick native. He has a little bit of black and amber in his veins, but he's mainly the, the green and white. And you know, all his four children identify as Kilkenny people. They grew up here, born and bred. Um, he works here. He's lived here for the last 20 years. But he was saying, you know, it's bittersweet that, um, you know, he got to see such a great game yesterday, but that the Limerick fans are very much, yeah, great. But, you know, Kilkenny, you put it up to us as well. So it, it, it was a lovely match. It was a great display of hurling. And I think that's what won at the end of the day, the game of hurling. Um, but the vibe after it. Now, if it was Tipperary, I'm not so sure we'd be feeling so generous. But, you know, <laughs> might the, be a but there's a lovely vibe after. There was. And actually, I loved as well, John Colley went around to, I'm going to say every single Kilkenny mm. player and had a few words with them, which was lovely. It, it was nice to see that, you know, he, he understands that it is not easy to come out and yeah. to give it all and then to walk away without the, the big prize. So it wasn't to be. No, and John Kiley is a great way about him. He's a great manager, so it was good to see he that. What yeah. does he say? I just I need to know what he says in the dressing room. <laughs> well, I need it, a little bit of Paul Connerk's a big one there as well. We should say that oh, John Kiley's the manager, but Paul Connerk has yes. coached that team exceptionally well over I'd the last five years. We man. may get into the dressing room next year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, listen, folks, thank you so much for coming in. We're going to take an ad break, but thank you so much for your thoughts. Coming up after this, we're going to speak to Councillor John Cahill. Carlo Kilkenny KCLR. Now, as promised, we have Councillor John Cahill here in studio with us. John, you're very welcome to KCLR. 
Thanks very much for having us, Una. Oh, no problem at all. John, you were recently co-opted onto Carlo County Council, so I just want to ask you a little bit about that. How does it feel maybe not having gone through the, the normal election process. Yeah, it's an interesting one because um I suppose like as a as a local area candidate you um you're kind of looking for your your uh, your feet and find your feet on uh, on local topics and local issues and sometimes you feel like uh, you're a bit reticent and a bit hesitant sort of to get involved in um in the in the, in the local conversations that are going on and then I think the the most interesting thing for me with the co-option process was that uh, when that happens and you kind of get this uh, legitimate councillor thing before your name or you're getting invited to the meetings or you're being asked your opinion yes like my impression was that you know things might change automatically or something but it, it's it's just the same just like the it, you're, you're sort of a uh, your opinion is sort of called on a little bit more that's all okay you don't feel like you've got all the power no no and and even in that i suppose in in the context of power and local local uh, local councils that's another conversation like the i suppose the 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 power of local ele- locally elected officials in ireland has eroded over years like so no don't go thinking you're getting uh, you're getting loads of power if you're getting onto the council that's don't get ahead of yourself no um i was interested that was it councillor macdonald said when you were co-opted that he was disappointed that people before profit didn't produce a female candidate to replace councillor wallace who's gone on maternity leave how did you feel about that when he said that yeah well i think it, look it's, it's an interesting point to raise anyway um without getting uh, you know into the weeds politically on it there is a um, there's a lack of women in politics anyway at the minute in Carlo we have two um, elected women on the council uh, Adrienne being one and, and uh, our career look at the minute Andrea Dalton being the other and um, I suppose it, like the, the comments themselves I suppose did, did sort of like it, it does drive home the point like that, that there is a lack of women involved in the area I suppose and it, there's been a lot of investigation into why and there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of effort going into um, into quotas and stuff at the minute but I think at the at the end of the day we have to make the we have to make the area more more appealing um, to women to, to get involved in and I think the, the combative nature that showed sometimes in, in local politics I think puts people off a little bit Um I suppose the very fact that Councillor Wallace could take a maternity leave, which only yeah. became possible last year with the bill last year, isn't that correct? Absolutely. That that's a step in the right direction, surely. Yeah, absolutely. And it's sort of it's 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 um it's these little things that we need to build on to get more people involved in, and I suppose uh, from again again to from my point of view, uh, we need more more active, more socially and politically active women in uh, from that we could sort of engage maybe from community groups etc in the area. I think that's where we could make. A, a lot of gains in that area you know Can I ask you maybe maybe it's very obvious from the title of your party but what attracted you to people before profit specifically yeah, the, the, the clues in the name uh, <laughs> okay, to be I honest with you <laughs> <laughs> uh, no but uh, very specifically for me I suppose um I, I joined the party just sort of during COVID really I, I, I had a real sort of awakening during COVID I, I've often felt like I've been standing in a field shouting on my own or shouting at the television for years and um, I think it was sort of time for me to to get involved and to, um, I suppose, to try and start making a difference. And I suppose the areas in People Before Profit that interested me the most were, uh, I, I've always had a, a long interest in workers' rights. I've always had a long interest in the, in uh, sort of our land and our resources and how we use our land and how we use our resources and those, our natural resources in particular. And I think without an actual system change in, in what we're doing, um, 
uh, we're going to have a lot of problems going forward in the future and the things like that are sort of motivating me locally at the moment we have a lot of issues uh, regarding prospecting and mining we have a lot of issues regarding renewable energy and how renewable energy is going to look in the county going forward we also have a lot of um, like say work relations disputes going on at the minute our retained firefighters getting a very poor deal at the minute they need to be looked after and I'd like to support them as much as I can I'm a section 39 healthcare worker myself and uh, we have a lot of issues there at the minute we have a two tier system where HSE uh, workers are getting uh, much better terms and conditions and the leaders in, in Carlow at the minute the Irish Wheelchair Association have been fantastic in highlighting this and have been out on strike and have been uh, making great moves in this we also have water workers from Unite out on strike at the moment from the County Council so there's a lot of there's a lot of um, active stuff there at the moment that um, sort of aligns with and again to get back to the point why I joined with people before profit these are the issues that resonate with me and these are the people that I want to support and highlight their causes and, and how will you intend how do you intend to go about that Sean how do you think that's going to play out for you over the next six months well I suppose in, in the next six months um what I'm trying to do uh, in the council, I suppose, is, is to represent the people um, as best I can and to get those issues in and to get motions in. And just, I suppose, like when you talk about the power of a, of a county councillor, a lot of the power that you have as a county councillor is in what you're saying outside the chambers. It's in how you're representing and, and who you're representing. Um, and again, like it's to get... Um, is, is to get the message across and, and to support uh, like we're saying say with the retained firefighters to make sure that the lads in Tolo and the lads in uh, Bagnestown the lads in Hackestown and our all our retained services are getting the support that they're having that they're having their voices heard and that we can amplify it as much as we can and get the get sort of the word out there that it's you know that's unacceptable the conditions that they're that they're currently working in so I suppose like when you're saying my my aim and my goal would be to amplify these messages and to represent the people um, as best I can in those six months Okay very good Just John, I wonder, do you think the fact that you've been co-opted in, because you had already been named as a candidate for the Mm -hmm. local elections next year, do you feel your co-option is going to give you an advantage or a disadvantage when it comes to the election? Double-edged sword, to be honest with you, Una. And it's something that, that like, is sort of, not that it's difficult to manage, but I'm quite aware that I'm co-opted onto Carlow Municipal District. I'm running as a a local election candidate in Tolo Municipal District and my house is actually in Bottinglass Municipal District so I cover I cover a lot of areas uh, especially in the council as well I suppose when raising matters locally you know I, I suppose I have to be careful of you know the, the area of the people I'm representing so I'm, I'm first and foremost representing the people from Carlow Municipal District but obviously there's issues that come up on a county wide basis and uh, again a lot of the stuff a, a lot of the things that I'm interested in and you can see even with the motions that are brought forward in first meeting it's to sort of talk about national issues in a local level or to sort of raise issues that are going on on a local level from the ground up and it's like I suppose the overall view of things like if you want to if you want to affect change really has to come from the bottom up and we're, we're not going to affect any change from the top down it's just not going to work Okay maybe a little bit about yourself John could you tell us I know you mentioned that you're a healthcare worker so just a little bit about yourself maybe just so we get to know you slightly better Yeah I suppose I'm one of those guys that I've, I've had a million jobs I went through uh, <laughs> went through went through a lot of careers uh, in, in my youth and I sort of I ended up um I ended up in my early thirties, going back to college uh, when uh, when when the crash came. I went back and studied social science, and I got a degree in uh, from Manute. And uh, I went into social care from there. Uh, I've been working in social care ever since. Uh, I manage a respite service for adults with autism. Um, it's very rewarding work, and um, I suppose it, it it sort of lends you into as well. Look, 
it sort of matches in very well with a lot of the casework and stuff we'd be taking on as a counsellor be quite aware of the system and the deficiencies within the system for care provision etc etc so I find that my you know my personal experience and my work experience matches in very well um, with uh, with what goes on in in my spare time I suppose um, if we're not fishing or at football matches you know doing the usual stuff with kids and trad music etc etc um, I sort of I'll generally be found at a meeting somewhere for whatever's going on locally you know like you, you have a lot going on so you're into fishing and do you play football no no the kid, uh, my, my the little kids. one plays uh, plays football so she's um, she's very keen at the moment so we get to we'd be uh, you know Hanny Whitlow under 10 LGFA games we'd be you know hanging out there super well that, that sounds like it could be the place to be <laughs> Indeed. Um, what was it like John going back to college at a more mature stage of life how did you enjoy that experience fantastic fantastic I have to say I, I didn't um, I didn't manage uh, college very well our education system very well when I was younger I was uh, undiagnosed with dyslexia um, diagnosed with autism and ADHD as an adult uh, the system um, there for people who think a little bit differently wasn't exactly where it should be at the time so when I got the support specifically that I needed and required I absolutely flew I got, I got a first class honours degree and I went from a place of nearly failing the leaving cert uh, when I was doing it to being able to you know um, And what made the difference do you think it was just acknowledging that there were things that you needed to be I suppose more aware of or what made the difference between your diagnosis and how you performed thereafter Absolutely um, accepting accepting that you have deficiencies in certain areas taking the help for that extra time uh, to complete assignments extra time doing exams uh, being more prepared and uh, people just being aware of it um, made a, a huge difference there, there has been quite a number of quite well-known people have come out with um, a diagnosis also of ADHD. And I wonder whether you feel the discourse around that, John, is helpful. Absolutely. I suppose, like, from from my perspective, um, the autism diagnosis is uh, absolutely no surprise. <laughs> it, it's one of the things I, I, I look on it and, and I know it's a, it's a very glib thing. I know working in the area when you hear people saying, no, autism is a superpower. It really isn't. like, But... Uh, I have to say a lot of the positive character traits I have and a lot of the, the work and the way I work in a positive way comes from the autism. ADHD, I would have to say I struggled with. And that it was a lot of like executive dysfunction regarding to organisation, time, places, you know, all that general sort of stuff. But uh, it's great to be able to talk openly about it and uh, for it not to be an issue and to be able to find someone in the same boat, Marinless, wherever you go, like, you know. And do you ever encounter negativity around either of those diagnoses? Don't really speak about it publicly, Una. Okay. Well, I hope I have <laughs> so I might, I might now, Una, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just interesting because people can be quite blinkered, I suppose, in their attitude to, to things that they don't know much about. So I love to hear people discussing these things, making mm. them... I hate to use the word normal, but bringing yeah, yeah. it out and talking about it is definitely a positive thing, I would say. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I said it's kind of the thing like once you get over the initial kind of shock of a, of a diagnosis, like you, you know, and you, you, you accept it and, and work and you see the difference that it makes in your life. Like I've been treated for things like uh, depression and PTSD that like I, I had no, I, I actually didn't have, you know. So uh, this, like the, the diagnosis process, like really cleared things up for me and made things a lot clearer, like. And I'm sure it's been a long road and a hard road, it sounds like. When you're ah, it, was, it, it was hard when I didn't know. Yes. Like it was much easier since I have known, like, you know. Yes, indeed. Well, John, it's been lovely to meet you and I'm sure we'll hear loads more from you over the next six months and we wish you the very best of luck. Fighting the good fight. Indeed. And um, 
thank you so much for coming into studio today. Thank you very much, Anna. Siobhan Gaynor from Cancer Trials Ireland. How are you? I'm doing fine, thank you. Siobhan, tell us about this survey that uh, Cancer Trials Ireland are conducting. And I believe you're spearheading this, is that correct? That's right, yeah. So um, I'm unfortunately a patient with metastatic breast cancer. Um, and along the way, I decided that there was a few gaps um, that I couldn't figure out myself as a patient. And I'm sure others felt the same. So we decided to um, formulate a survey to help address some of these issues that arise on a practical level. Okay, so the idea is, are you doing a shout out looking for people to contribute to this survey? Is that what the idea is? That's right. Yeah. So we're looking to find women and men all over Ireland um, who have a diagnosis of metastatic or secondary breast cancer to contribute their voice and their views um, to um, problems they may have within their own journey with this diagnosis and to help us to get all of that data together in order to um, then address the issues that we find. I'm interested to hear you include men there because we never obviously associate men with breast cancer, but obviously it is, it it, it does happen. It does. Unfortunately, it's less common, far less common, but nonetheless, it does happen. Um, and I think they can get left out along the way with all the pink movement, etc. So I'm very clean, keen to highlight and include them in the survey if at all possible. I actually read this morning, Siobhan, Una Dillon had an article in the Indo and she was talking about the need to normalise the conversation around cancer. So what she reckons is that it strikes such fear in patients that it paralyses them and they don't want to go to the GP. Would you agree with that? I do. I, I absolutely agree. Fear is, is a funny one emotionally and people react to it in different ways. But the fear of, of what's the worst that can happen, you know, can actually put you in a difficult situation. And unless you address the issues, I feel, hence the reason, one of the reasons for the survey is, you know, open the curtain, as I call it, um, on stage four cancer and show that we're still here, we're still living, we can still enjoy our lives, but what do we need to support us? Siobhan, I don't know if you're comfortable to speak a little bit about your own diagnosis and, and how you felt on the back of that, because I'm sure it's 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 a very difficult thing to process when you initially get those, um, I suppose, dreaded words from your doctor. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely a very shocking and traumatic experience. There's no doubt about that. And we all respond to trauma differently. For me, um, you know, in a sense, I shut down um, for a few months, I, looking back on it now, and in, in that I just couldn't process it. And it took me a good few months, really, to accept the diagnosis in the first place. Um, I think once you're past that, you know, past the movement of accepting it, um, then you can start to see, well, there's still hope and there's always hope and there's new medicines and new treatments coming along all the time um, and in fact thanks to those new medicines and treatments women and men like myself are living longer but uh, the question arises then what do we need to help us to continue to live our lives um, in a meaningful way and I'm wondering how did you get to that acceptance was there anything in particular that helped you or is it just a journey that you have to to go on um, I think looking back on it, it's a journey. Um, for me, um, one of the first things I did was to join a support group for women and men in my situation. I joined the Marie Keating Foundation Positive Living Support Group. Um, actually, Una is also a member of that group. And for me, that was definitely the key to unlocking um, some of the you know, uh, shock and, and, and lack of being able to do anything that you described earlier. I think the support group really is all about us all in the same boat, um, many of us from different walks of life. And you 
you witness and see other people um, contributing and many of us still working in fact and um, you know providing all the other things we do in life um, in a meaningful way and, and that gives you hope you know so to see other w- women and men in the same boat I found the support group was was absolutely invaluable. And I think that hope is so important because, you know, the stage four and the incurable, those words are just very, very daunting. So it's very hard to stay hopeful when you hear them, I imagine. It is. But again, um, you have to break it down. And, you know, whilst currently it's incurable, as I say, we are living longer. Um, You know, there's women in my support group who are alive 12, 15 years after their diagnosis, which is incredible when you look back. Even 10, 20 years ago, that was impossible. So there's always hope. Um, You don't know where you're going to fit in on that picture. And so for me, um, you know, the trick that I find helpful is really just focusing on now, the here and now. I'm well today. I'm able to talk to you today which I'm very grateful for I will go out for a walk later and hopefully um, enjoy without any rain um, and I will just get on and that is the way I live my life in between scans I think you know every three months we're scanned um, and we look for um, any changes in our situation and I think that's a tough one but that's only a week or two out of the three months you know so the rest of the time it's absolutely possible to keep focused on on the good stuff I plan trips away which is, is my way of dealing with it um, after I get some scan results that are good I'll, I'll plan a trip away with my children or friends or family and, and that's how I deal with it but everyone comes to their own way of dealing with it and I think that they have to in a way don't they because every situation is so different and you mentioned your children there was that a very difficult conversation do you mind me asking Siobhan no, I think being honest with you, that was the toughest part. I, I really struggled with that because, you know, it, it's an indefinite type of thing you're you're communicating. And yes, it is incurable. But what exactly does that mean? Children want specifics, right? They want to know exactly what's going to happen and when. And you don't have those answers. And I really, really struggled with that. My kids um, are teenagers, three of them. Um, and, you know, that also brings up its own complications as anyone who's a parent of teenagers will will understand. But um, what I learned and talked to other women in my support group, and indeed I also spoke to psycho-oncology because I needed some support with that, um, I realised that all I can tell them is all I know and be honest with them and really um, hopefully um, explain to them that as things change, I'll let them know. And I think for me, I realised that honesty was the trick. And, and the honest thing is I don't have all the answers. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, but as long as they're confident that I will get back to them as things change. Um, for my children, I felt withholding information wasn't going to be the way for me and my family. But everybody arrives at a different decision regarding that. And it's a very tough one. It's a really tough one. And I, I would imagine it's quite tempting because your instinct is to protect your children and maybe, I suppose, not telling them everything might seem like the best way to do that. But as you say, the honesty is, is comforting as well if they know that you're going to tell them exactly what uh, you know. So yeah, but it's not everyone chooses that, you know, and that's one of the questions actually we're addressing in the survey is, um, you know, as with whom you shared the information about your diagnosis and your prognosis and how soon after your diagnosis you 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 asked you you came to that decision because it's a tough one. It's a very tough one and it's different for everybody and everyone's circumstances are different. Um, and I think what I'd say to anybody is whatever you decide, it has to be right for you and your family. There's no one answer for us all. 
let's go back to the survey for a second, Siobhan. So it's available on the website, cancertrials.ie. So what, what are we asking people to do and what do you hope to do once you've collated all that information? So, yes, thanks. It's a, it's an online survey. So um, basically what you go in is click the link, as you've described, on www.cancertrials.ie for the survey. There's some information on the website about the survey as well, if anyone wants to read about it before they enter into the survey space. And the survey then, um, we don't collect any information about patients' um, names. Um, so it's an anonymized survey. It's an online survey, um, which takes between 10 and 30 minutes to complete. It navigates you through it. Most of it is just tick the boxes or on on the survey online. Um, there's one or two spaces for comments, but we're not um, collecting huge amounts of information. And we're looking at things like, you know, uh, have you engaged in exercise since your diagnosis? Um, are you keen to get exercising? What information would you like um, before you'd be happy to continue exercising or starting exercise? Um, have you been open about your diagnosis? Have you been open about your prognosis? Has the diagnosis affected you financially? Has it affected you emotionally? Um, how um, much information have you received about your diagnosis? Would you like more? Where would you like to find that information? And these are all subjects that um, other women and men with the same diagnosis found important to them. So before this survey went online, um, we had road tested it with 30 other patients with the same condition. And these were the subjects that people wanted to interrogate in more details. Well, they all sound like they'll, they'll bring a lot of very valuable information to the table. And what I wonder then is what will happen thereafter, do you think, Siobhan, once that information has been um, extracted, if you like? Yeah, so once it's been analysed, um, obviously we'll publish it and we'll um, um, do some more work around um, publishing all of that information. But further to that, I hope that it'll give us a very clear view on what Irish patients with um, stage four or secondary breast cancer um, need, where the gaps are in their care and what we can do to support them. So I will be going and having conversations with the relevant people in the Department of Health, the HSE, the National Cancer Control people, all, all the people, the stakeholders who look after us um, and hopefully we'll be providing them with data because that's what's missing here and hence the need for the survey is data on our needs. So um, we hope that with that number of, of patients, hopefully we'll complete it. We're looking for 300 um, Irish patients um, and with that's a very powerful number because that represents about 10 to 25% of us throughout the island of Ireland. So that's a very strong voice and we hope with that strong voice then that gives us greater ability to, to um, persuade <laughs> the stakeholders to invest um, better in our care in a targeted way. Okay, well, that sounds really super. And Siobhan, wishing you the very, very best of luck with that and with your own journey. You're an amazingly strong woman, I have to say. And I I think what you're doing is going to help so many people. So I'm going to say thank you. So once again, the survey is on www.cancertrials.ie. Siobhan, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Weekday mornings from 10 till 12. This is KCLR Live. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by the legend that is Brendan Hennessy. Brendan, how are you doing? I'm good, Una. How are you? I'm great. You covered your 28th senior hurling, hurling final yesterday, Brendan. That's quite that's quite the tally. Yeah, it's very high off as well. I didn't realise it until I looked at the dates when I started. So I've had a good all inning. So uh, yeah, it was the 28th. Calculated as the 28th, yeah. You definitely are. And how were your sidekicks yesterday? You were with Michael Walsh and Taggy Fogarty. Did they behave no, sure, the lads were the lads were brilliant. Of course, we were all looking for a, a Kilkenny win, with no disrespect to Limerick when we're representing Kilkenny. 
on the radio um, and being the two lads were Kilkenny men through and through so I'm at the matches in Kilkenny a long long time and um, actually we'd look at we thought to do it and they were playing it in the first half but we can't take anything away from Limerick I think the two lads summed it up very well at the end doing it uh, that was phenomenal what Limerick Kamoda did in the second half like they scored 21 points in, in the second half and uh, they completely outscored Kilkenny and Kilkenny died with their boots on but just fell short in front of goal and uh, the lads gave a great account of themselves but it just wasn't to be and as Michael said at the end of the match when you come up against uh, class opposition you have to acknowledge it and appreciate it and say well done Limerick they were fantastic and you can't take that away from them No you certainly can't and I think in time we'll enjoy sort of the classy display that they gave a little bit more but we were allowed a couple of days aren't we Brendan to feel a little bit sore you are a Carlo ah, yeah. yeah yeah I'd be Carlo Town Greg Cullen originally yeah and tell me how did your love of the game or where did your love of the game come from ah, well I was all the family we were always involved in sport we played everything and uh, I wasn't from a hurling stronghold as such but we did play a little bit of hurling in Greg Cullen and you'd probably know the geography of that Greg Cullen in Carlo but we actually play our GA in Leash uh, since 1926 but uh, I've always been involved with rugby and soccer soccer in the Kilkenny League and the Carlo League over the years and GA with Greg Cullen and uh, rugby with Carlo so I've always had a grow for sport and uh, I got involved um, I used to mimic sports commentators years ago and uh, mimicking commentaries and that sort of thing and I did a gig one day and I, uh, 28 years ago 29 years ago now and ever since I, I've done that gig I'm still gigging on <laughs> Sunday afternoon so that's actually the way it worked out I kind of got a little bit lucky but uh, it went well for me and the day doesn't go well as the day that I'll say adios amigo so that's the way it worked out don't I? Well you're obviously very good at it Brendan and your passion definitely comes through what's your favourite part of commentating? Um, there's probably no real favourite part the favourite part overall is commentating in general um, I like a good match hurling is brilliant a good rugby match fantastic Gaelic football has gone a little bit uh, it's not really an ideal spectacle for a lot of people at the moment they're not overly happy the way the game has been played and in saying that there's been a few good games in recent times because GAA has changed but I just love every day you can go out and do a match and um, I love sport and have a passion for it and you know whether it's Kilkenny is playing if I'm on the side of KC Lauren Kilkenny are playing or Carol are playing, I feel that I'm playing myself because I'm with the lads and I know them all personally and over the years and you get to know club teams and it doesn't really bother me who wins what or wins the other if we know all the teams that are together. But uh, I, yesterday, would be as proud in Croke Park uh, as a fella that's born in the heart and soul of Ballet Hill or in Kilkenny City or from O'Loughlin's or the village or Dixborough or wherever. I, I, I was for Kilkenny yesterday because I was working for a Kilkenny radio station and uh, I poke every ball and it's the same when Carroll are playing or when the club teams are playing. Um, I The team that we're on the side of uh, when it comes to Inter-County I, um, and representing the county to get out into the Leinster Championship or the All-Ireland Championship, I poke every ball with them. And I think that's important because if you don't get yourself involved, uh, you know, it, it's not actually the same. So you have to have a bit of a passion for something like that. Anybody that does anything in life, any job, if you haven't the passion for what you do, you shouldn't really be doing it. That's my. That was always my attitude. Wise words, Brendan. I don't think anybody could say that you don't have the passion and that is for sure. Tell me, what does an All-Ireland Day look like for you? Um, it's it's probably the same as every other day, only that it's a much bigger scale and you'd be a little bit edgy and a bit nervous and that no matter whether you'd be doing a match for the radio or the television or, or, or whatever. But um, I do a little bit of preparation and make sure everything is all right. The only thing we couldn't prepare for yesterday, I suppose, was the weather. It was horrible in Dublin. Uh, but it's very rare that you'd have a bad day for an All-Ireland but no just prepare and, and go and look forward to it and the great thing about it is you meet great people along the year and at all the matches and at the local matches it's a great it's great uh, 
bit communicating with people. I got to know some great people over the 20 years, years that I managed. I meet all the lads from the various different stations and the lads from RTE and BBC Northern Ireland lads there yesterday. We all know one another on first name terms because like, there wouldn't be a massive amount of us, but there's, there's a fair fair crowd. And then you get all the analysts and you get some of the former greats. And, you know, the great Tommy Walsh of Tullaronica, Kenny was there yesterday with News Talk. We had Aidan Paggy Fogarty, Michael Walsh. I mean, there's buckets of all Ireland medals there and there was fellas from various different counties on analysis as well. Uh, Oshin Langan, who does a lot of work with us in KCLR, covers a lot of matches. First, Oshin was actually broadcasting the match yesterday for BBC Northern Ireland Television. So that was a huge one for him. Him. So we got to talk to all the lads, and what I love is meeting all the lads. Meet early on a, on the day of the All Ireland or the semi final or whatever, and just have a chat and and, and uh, enjoy it. And the most important thing is to, to plan to enjoy it, and that's what I try to do. And, and you do it so well. Um, I'm sure the mood was was a little bit charged as the match progressed when we had that avalanche from Limerick. Um, is that a fair way to to describe it, Brendan? Yeah, I think I think Avalanche would be a good one. Yeah, you know, they didn't come downhill, though. They went uphill. <laughs> they, were, they were excellent. I mean, they had only nine points on the board at halftime and they finished with 30. Kilkenny finished with 215. And 2.15 is probably a decent enough score, but in modern-day hurling, it's not enough to win. And uh, it's just that there was no answer. I mean, Derek's no uh, post-match... Uh, post-match words uh, he, he more or less said that when that's when they start coming at you like that there's not a lot you can do about it you can do your best to try and defend it but they were so accurate and I think the Limerick manager earlier in the week John Kiley uh, said on national media and we all had feeds of it on the local stations as well we had it on KCLR with his interview with Robbie and the lads uh, or the pieces that came down the wire that he felt Limerick would have to be far more accurate than they have been in recent times or there's no business going to Croke Park and I think uh, overall there's only two wides in the second half and that in itself to score 21 points and have only two wides uh, speaks volumes for what the, they've done and in saying that Peter Casey scored five from play in the second half Dermot Burns at wing half back was phenomenal I think he got I mean, memory serves me right I think he scored five long range frees in the second half and a point from play and he scored one from play and a free in the first half so for a fellow playing a wing half back to be able to score like that his, his stats were absolutely unbelievable he didn't miss any strike on goal yesterday Uh Keane Lynch did a lot of work to captain. He 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 dictated the pace. But Peter Casey in the second half was fantastic, and Aaron Gillan. And in saying that, uh, Hugh Lawler was was excellent at full back for Kenny Ritchie Reid. Excellent, you know the lads. They were they were shift, super. They, just, they were super. Yeah, they just they just come up against a better team on the day. And and look at as a man said to me this morning. The Kilkenny, the Cats will purr again. And, you know, it was an amazing achievement for Derek in his first year to win the Leinster title. They did very well in the league and to get to an All-Ireland final. Like, there's other counties out there would have loved to win in the final Leinster. OK, they're for winning. But uh, where there's two win a final, we all know there has to be a loser. But Kilkenny have more Ireland, All-Irelands won than anybody. And uh, yet one, anyone that knows anything about Ireland uh, wouldn't want to be a fool and think that they won't win any for a long time Kilkenny are not going away and you know a bit of luck yesterday and that game could have changed regardless of how Limerick played in the second half I mean Owen Cody blasted a shot across the face of the goal if that hit the net you know you were looking at more it was uh, shots come off to put two hit the post I think Limerick hit the post as well but apart from that um Look, they, they gave it everything they could give and the moral it of the is. story is only they come up against a better team on the day and when you come up against a better team on the day there's not a lot you can do no, about it. No, and that, that's about Saul's vision. I think they won't come back purring, Brenton. They'll come back roaring as they always do. Yeah, well, in the fact that I only use the word purring because they're cats. <laughs> yes, well, I, I like it. Brenton, very quickly, one word answer. Who do you fancy for the football? Um, I It's it's probably another 50-50 game. We, we don't want 50-50, come on. We want a name. 
Well, Kerry midfield wouldn't be fantastic and Dublin have a fantastic midfield, but it's hard to call it. And uh, it could be Dublin's it could be Dublin's but you know what I've said all along it'll be Kerry and I'm going to go for Kerry but Kerry. mind you I said okay. it'll be I said it'll be Kilkenny as well so I'm not the best hipster in the world alright well, uh, it's going to be a cracking match it yeah it's be. going to be a cracking match Brendan congrats on your great commentating as always I look forward to chatting to you again we are going to take a short ad break coming up after this Ethna is going to be talking to Samantha and getting all the answers about how to get our dogs um, on board on holiday It's a dog's life with Samantha Rawson. Good morning, Samantha Rawson. It's lovely to see you. How are you? And you too. I'm I'm back. I'm I'm still a bit croaky. Oh, um, but I was I, yeah. I was sick. I I literally lost my voice. Oh my literally. goodness! Um, so we're 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 slowly coming back to life. Good. Well, I'm delighted <laughs> to see you. We're talking all things holidays this oh, morning. Yes, You're welcome yeah. to the to madness. Yes. <laughs> yes. It's a busy studio this morning, isn't it? Yeah. It's a family <laughs> affair here this morning. Um, listen, tell us, uh, taking your dog on holidays, yeah. what do you need to know? Uh, you need to be prepared, I suppose. And I suppose if you can start with a trial run, if you could go away for a weekend, whatever you're planning, because dogs are a little bit like children. I mean, they can let you down and embarrass you and then you're stuck kind of three days into it going, oh my God, this is a bad idea. So if you can, I would do a trial run. Okay. Um, the other thing to remember is whatever rules there are at home, there might be different rules on holidays. So if you're bringing your dog maybe to stay in somebody else's house, uh, be mindful that the dog isn't going to do any damage. Do you know what I mean? If you leave a dog in a room and he's not used to being left in a room at home and he scratches a door in somebody else's house, that might be problematic. I also heard you talking about um, noisy neighbours or being a dodgy neighbour. Again, you know, be mindful. Maybe your dog might bark mm-hmm. on holidays if, if he's in a strange environment where he wouldn't normally bark at home. So just be really, really careful of those kind of things. Do people bring their dogs on holidays yeah, to visit friends? Yeah, it's getting more popular bec- yeah. because, you know, because people are, are very attached to their dogs and an awful lot of dogs do have separation related issues. Mm-hmm. Sometimes people think it's easier to bring them with them. Um, however, I would suggest that, that needs, uh, that's a problem that needs to be addressed because you mightn't always be able to bring your dog with you. It's just not practical. Of course. Um, the other thing is that if you bring your dog on holidays, you might want to leave him in the car. Mm-hmm. So you might want to pop into a restaurant and have a bit of lunch. And do you leave the dog in your, your rented accommodation? Maybe not if it's going to do damage. Can you leave him in the car? So the same thing applies. The dog has to learn to be left in the car. Um, and I would always use a dog crate in a car whether I'm travelling or whether I'm going to de- leave the dog alone in the car because dogs can do an incredible amount of damage in a car in a very small sp- space of time. So, so what kind of things are you talking about then? So you have a crate. What about seatbelts? I know um, I, I have a seatbelt. I, I wouldn't leave a dog um, in a seatbelt if I'm not in it because it's just going to chew out of it. Do you know okay. what I mean? I mean, Good a seatbelt is not going to secure the dog if you're in having a meal in a restaurant. So a crate is a much better idea. So crates need to be trained, you know, weeks in advance of, of going travelling or, or putting a dog in a crate. You can't just put a dog in a crate and go, we're grand. Because dogs can then panic in a crate and can do damage to themselves in a crate. Because if they try and bite out of a crate, they can try and bite the wires and literally kill themselves 
practically speaking, they can actually kill themselves in a crate. Yeah. So all of these things need to be done in advance. Um, so I would suggest any kind of training, give yourself at least four to six weeks. Do you know what I mean? It might be a bit late now in the, in the middle of July. Um, <laughs> so but, preparation yeah, is key. But preparation and think about it. You know, if your dog isn't capable of being left in a room at home right now, what are the chances he's going to be capable of being left in a room on holidays or being left in the car? It's not going to happen. OK, so if you don't take your dog with you, what are your options? I suppose your options are kennels. Um, any dog that has any kind of behaviour issues, I would suggest you ask somebody to come and babysit. Okay. It's much easier for a dog and for you and, and the stress levels of everybody to have somebody come and stay in your house. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And, and also your house is secure as well. So if you can find a relative or a, a young teenager that maybe would look love to stay in your house for a week or two while you go off on holidays as long as they don't wreck the place. Um, <laughs> you don't have to worry about yeah, the dog long, behavior. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as they're a responsible young adult um, that would be a much easier option. Um, otherwise kennels but again if you're going to do kennels if the dog has never been in kennels try and do a couple of weekends before the big week or two weeks um, and bringing something belonging to you or the dog so I would always ask for an owner's t-shirt or, or some family scent for from, from the dog so bring a t-shirt with you bring their favourite toys bring their favourite food um, you know if the kennels go oh it's okay we'll feed the dog I'd say no because if you suddenly change a dog's food it's going to have the runs and it's going to be stressed enough Yeah. so so you know cleaning Sending up their own food yeah cleaning up after a stressed dog is, is not fun the other thing about safety if you're taking the dog away with you and save it's in Ireland um, make sure your dog has an ID disc with your phone number on it if you're going abroad, make sure the international code is on the ID disc. Um, and there are also tracking devices now. You can put kind of GPS little tags on dogs. Um, so it's On re- their collar, is yeah, it? Yeah, on the collar. So it's really important to have some kind of tracking device on the dog. Okay. Um, and also to make sure that your microchip details are up to date, that God forbid you lose your dog. I would never, ever, ever let a dog off lead in a strange place. Mm-hmm. I don't care if your dog is fabulous at home. Even if you're going to Cork and you live in Cork, if your dog is fabulous at home, do not let him off the lead in Cork, never mind Spain or France or wherever, wherever you want to take him. Because dogs are curious animals and it's a new environment. And if they see something that they haven't seen before, they're going to want to go and investigate it. Of course. Um, Trying to explore a new, yeah. a new area, just yeah. like we would. You said there about micro or checking the microchip. How yeah. do you make sure that that's all up to date? Um, there, there's a couple of different um, service providers. So I would check in with them. And usually they have login details. So if you put your, your microchip number, number in it'll usually come up whether you're the registered owner or not so make sure you are the registered owner because some dogs are still registered with the breeder mm-hmm. so you know you're supposed to transfer ownership from the breeder to you or from the rescue to you or wherever you got your dog from so make sure that your details are on the microchip I'm actually very bad at that particular issue because <laughs> um, my dogs kind of they only go somewhere with me and I would never let them off lead in a strange place um, but do make sure that your microchip details are up to date because there's no point in having a dog microchipped if your name and address isn't Isn't on it. Doesn't match it. Mm -hmm. Um, Kennel cough. Vaccinations for if your dog is going to the kennels. Yeah, kennel cough now. um, What is kennel cough? It's it's like a bad flu but but dogs can actually get hoarse from it. They lose their voice literally um, and it can be quite debilitating and sometimes can be a very serious disease. Um, And the thing about kennel cough is it spreads like
like wildfire. So if you have a dog in a kennels that comes in with kennel cough, it'll spread right throughout the kennels and, and then the kennels has to shut down. Um, it's a horrible disease for the dog, but also for, for the business. Um, so kennel cough used to have to be given three weeks before boarding. Um, I think it's an updated vaccine now. So just check with your vet mm-hmm. what the incubation period is, because there's no point in giving kennel cough two days before the dog is due to be boarded. Um, because it used to be a live vaccine. I don't know what it is now. So just check with your vet what the incubation period is. Any other things to consider um, from the kennels in terms of worms or fleas or any of those sorts of things? Or you're really talking about high standard hygiene, aren't you? In yeah, yeah. I, I would always go and see a kennels before I would board my dog and ask to see where the dog is going to sleep. I don't like kennels that take the dog at the gate and say, yeah, thanks, we'll see you in a week. I want to see exactly where the dog is going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they have some secure off-lead exercise, that would be great. Because if a dog doesn't get exercise for the week or the two weeks, you know, they're going to come back with scratch paws or they're going to be biting themselves or they're going to, they're going to do something. They're going to be stressed. So a bit of off-lead exercise is really, really important. Okay. So they need to be entertained. Yeah, yeah. Entertained in kennels as well as at home. So yeah. that'd be your preference that somebody come in and, and have... Yeah, my preference would be, I mean, I have eight dogs, so, you know, there's no way I'm going to board eight <laughs> You're dogs. calling in a lot of favourites yeah, and family yeah. and friends. There's Samantha. Yeah, so I always want somebody to come and stay in my house mm-hmm. um, and the dogs are much happier. Do you know what I mean? So, And that means I can relax. I know that they're OK and I can relax because there's nothing worse than going on holidays and being stressed about what's happening at home. OK, we just have a couple of minutes, but just if you're taking your dog out of the country, mm. so very plain... Yeah. What do you need to know? What are is there quarantine issues? Yes, they, they also need if they're going out um, outside of Ireland, they need a rabies vaccine, and rabies vaccination has to be given at least a couple of months before you're due to go on holidays. And um, they also have to have a, a European pet passport. So there's an awful lot of documentation if you're going to take your dog out of the country. And um, the other thing is we all know about the forest fires in Greece and and yeah. Italy and elsewhere. So please check what the temperature is in the country you're going to, because if dogs are in Ireland, they're not used to hot weather. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it can be sometimes a bit of a culture shock to, to expect a dog to cope with hot weather if they've never been used to it. Absolutely. So, so and also travel restrictions in that the, the ferry is 17 hours now that they have improved the kennels on board ferries. But like, think about it. What's, what's really good for the dog? You might want to bring your dog with you, but is it actually the best option for the dog? For your dog. Yeah, th- think about it from the dog's point of view, not from your point of view. Okay, and listen, um, I'm sure you have loads of this information on your website, yes, on your Facebook yes. page. So <laughs> yes. remind listeners where they can get in touch, where they can um, find out all about the European passports and yeah. all of those things. Um, so always check with your vet about vaccinations and, and uh, paperwork. Uh, but I will put up a blog on my website, which is samantharawson.ie. You'll find me on Instagram on samantha.rawson and you'll find me on Facebook, Samantha Rawson or at the Canine College. Brilliant. And you can send your queries in for Samantha for next week into us here at KCLR Live. Um, Samantha, thank you so much. It's lovely to see you. I'm glad you're feeling better. And we'll <laughs> chat Atla. to you next week. Thanks, Atla. Call out there for all our smooth operators. Suzanne Harrington, journalist, has a great piece, um, or had a great piece rather, in the Irish Examiner last Friday about smooth operators. Suzanne, good morning. How are you? Oh, good morning, Una. I'm fine. How are you? I'm not too bad. Can you explain to us what Kenergy is? It is what Ryan Gosling described what he was harnessing when he stepped in to play the part of Ken in the Barbie movie. And in, in a nutshell, it's a very, how, how could I put it, a very um, well-looked-after body. Yeah, he said that, uh, Ryan Gosling, not Ken, said that he um, he suddenly kind of put on his plastic 
uh, fake uh, six pack and and um, fake tan and bleached hair and neon clothes and that 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 was his energy but yeah it, the piece that I did was more kind of opening up with that but bro- more broadly about how men are no longer masculinity is no longer synonymous with hairiness and that smoothness is um, the way to be now it's for everyone to... apart from women who can be now hairy oh, it... we're kind of we're losing the, we're losing our gender grip on body hair and we're being a little bit more whatever about it which is no bad thing at it's, all it's no bad thing but I'm not sure I believe it because I mean how many years ago did Julia Roberts dare to bear her armpits I know you mentioned her in your article but we're still talking about that which I think is tells its own story doesn't it well it, that was in 1999 and um, as somebody who, so, uh, there's a Catalan writer called Belle Oled, and she wrote a, a really interesting book about hairy women. And she said, had that Julia Roberts got away with it because she is beautiful in every way. And so we, we allowed her to have hairy armpits. And that very, you know, young, good looking women are allowed to have hairy armpits. Whereas if you were not young or not beautiful or not slim or not any of the kind of prescribed beauty ideals, and then if you rocked hairy on top of that, you would be crucified. That's unacceptable. Oh my goodness me. And going back to the Kennergy, I'm not quite sure how I put that in a sentence, but the idea that (laughs) our men are becoming less hairy and more smooth. What's your own take on that, Suzanne? Do you like a hairless man? Me personally, I like a gorilla, Ooh. but that's just a personal preference. But I, I you know, the, the the hairless aesthetic has been developing for years and years because it's start, you know, what started out with athletics, like particularly cycling and swimming, because I don't know some reason to do with science and speed and you know less drag or whatever it morphed it moved to football and now football is very very smooth and waxed Ronaldo Mo Salah those guys the big wigs none of them have got any visible body hair especially on their torsos Um, another player recently called John Stone who plays for Man City he was pictured with shaved armpits which is a very sensible and practical thing to do for either gender. But I think we're just... The, the, I spoke to a hair historian for that piece that you mentioned, and she said that they basically, we just we kind of do what we like now for men or for women, providing women aren't too hairy. Women, women are still judged more harshly, no surprises there. No when surprises. When it comes to everything. But we're not as hung up and it doesn't, a hairless man does not mean anything really other than just a personal preference. Okay, so it's it's not a sign that you're not as manly as as we might like to think that you are. I think what you had to say there about women, yes, you can be hairy if you want to be, as long as you're good looking or as long as you're thin, but it's a bit like two strikes and you're out. Don't dare to be anything less than perfect in some domains if you choose to be hairy. And there's something about that, Suzanne, that doesn't sit very comfortably with me, I have to say. (laughs) No, not with me either. But I mean, that's still kind of how things are. I know. And um, there's there's a, there's also an, the idea that women, young women who go hairy with their armpits or legs, that it's it's almost a statement to say, 
I don't care. It's a sort of, it's a, almost an act of self-conscious, a self-conscious statement saying, you know, beauty standards be damned. But really, it only, as I said, it only works if you're young, beautiful and slim. Yes, indeed. If you're, if you're not, then maybe just, you know, it don't it expect, expect negative responses, which is rubbish. But, you know, it's a, we're a constantly evolving species, aren't we? And cultural norms can continuously morph. And so we're not, we're certainly not as rigid as we were. And the idea of hair equaling masculinity is, is so old. It is. And that was just about personal preference. I'm going to bring Ethna in actually and just ask Ethna, what is your preference regarding um, a hairy man or a hairless man? Do you have a preference? Janie, I could get myself in all sorts of trouble here. Um, Yeah, I I, I would prefer uh, um, hair. Yeah, I'd be of the kind of gorilla. <laughs> I'm with you there, Suzanne, on the gorilla. You like uh, gorilla? Yeah. And I assume, ladies, when you say you like gorilla, you're talking chest. I mean, the back hair can be a little bit problematic. Do we all agree on that? Listen, I take no, I people as I find problem. them. No, me neither. I, I have no problem with any sort of body hair anywhere. Or if the person hasn't got any hair, then I have no problem with that either. It's not about, it's, it's about them, not what's growing on them if you know what I mean <laughs> I that's, love that that's very accepting Susanna and when I grow up I'm going to be exactly like that as well but I have to say the, the hairy bag I'm not a fan of which I know is awful the girl who doesn't shave her own legs as often as she probably could do my the statement that I'm making with that by the way is that I'm just lazy that's that's my statement <laughs> I'm a little bit slow on the grooming do you think do either of you think that this Kennedy will take off and that we'll see I suppose younger men well any men at all in fact um, take on board the smooth Ken-like torso. I think we're seeing it I think, a lot more. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I just things. think th- things are. like, you know, if you look at Love Island and things like that, and I, I think we're seeing a lot more across the board, um, particularly the the toned abs. Um, I'm laughing that Ryan Gosling strapped his on. I didn't realise that, Suzanne. I thought they were, I was watching, I watched Barbie on, I went to the movie on, on Friday night and uh, I was looking at them going, how is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> so is is a that Hollywood makeup department? Is it so? It's, that's not his real chest then. His six pack is apparently fake. Don't sue me. I I, left, I read it somewhere. <laughs> I need a Hollywood makeup department. Yes, that's really realistic looking, and it's also very disappointing. What I say, <laughs> it takes love. So you don't think that um, the, the movie will have a massive effect? You think that's already a kind of a consequence of Love Island or whatever other programs uh, we're watching now? I think that men. Men take a lot of men take their role modeling from athletics, uh, you know, from from sports stars. And as I said, football is a huge thing, and a lot of footballers will already be rocking the Ken aesthetic, and have been for years. Ken is just a kind of cartoon version of something that already exists. I think. Yes, well, you may well be right. Have you seen the movie, Suzanne? I'm seeing it on Thursday. It's my one of my birthday treats this week and I am counting the seconds. Are you really? My boyfriend's bringing me. Yeah, my hairy boyfriend is taking me <laughs> and I just cannot wait. Well, I hope he's I'm not so too inspired and he doesn't come out and go straight for the razors. And uh, that wouldn't make you happy, Suzanne. 
Oh no, I'd still love him no matter what he did. Oh, you are very accepting. You're definitely somebody to look up to when it comes to accepting people exactly as they are. Well, listen, that sounds like a lovely treat. I'm, I, I have no plans to go and see it and I feel like I'm going to hear so much about it that the anticipation, anticipation is going to be amazing by the time I eventually get there. I think you'd be surprised by it. It's actually a good watch. I can't say it was amazing or brilliant or, you know, awe-inspiring or anything like that, but I actually enjoyed it. My daughter loved it. Um, There was a nice message behind it. Um, Yeah, even just to to raise the question of patriarchy and to look at it in a different way and, you know, for her to ask questions that she had like, what's that? And, you know, how Barbie's a little bit delusional about, uh, you know, how how, how, um, the impact that she has had on the real world, you know, that women can be president and women can be doctors and engineers and all of those things, which, of course, women can be. But, you know, but in in Barbie land, uh, she has a very different vision of the real world, shall we say. So it's it's a good watch, Suzanne. I'd be interested to, to read your thoughts. I'm sure we'll see them in the examiner soon I hope so <laughs> one thing I was a little bit disappointed to hear some of the commentary this weekend was saying that the best lines actually went to Ken so I don't know if that's going to be something that would annoy you Suzanne but I thought that was a pity because it is she has become a little bit of a feminist icon this new uh, Barbie hasn't she well, she has, but I mean, it's the director, isn't it? Greta Gerwig. I mean, she she could literally make an ad for, you know, bin liners and it would be a brilliant ad for bin liners. She's just, the woman is a genius. That's why I'm going. I'm, I'm not interested in Barbie per se, but I would be interested in anything that woman did. Greta Gerwig, I mean. It's so brilliant. it would be, I'll be really keen to see what she does with Barbie apart from visually which looks amazing it does look amazing but I have heard very few detractors it has to be said that's literally the only thing that I heard that perhaps the better lines went Ken's way which was maybe not what we were expecting at the outset yeah who knows well I'll, I'll, I will know on after Thursday but after yeah Thursday, well, it, it uh, looks cracking it does look cracking and as Ethna says we look forward to hearing or to reading rather all about it um, in the examiner Suzanne thank you so much for enlightening us about the smooth operation that's going on all around the country (laughs) and we'll keep our eyes peeled for hairlessness that might be um, sprouting up thank you so much uh, Suzanne Carlo Kilkenny KCLR Welcome back, Ethan. I have to thank you for not outing me when Samantha was here for having the boldest puppy in all of Kilkenny, Carlo, and indeed the world. <laughs> I don't agree with you because uh, you haven't met my friend yet. But uh, Fia, uh, I had the pleasure of having lunch with Fia during the week and she's a little pet. She's gorgeous. She's a pet, but she's completely out of control. And you did tell me when I said, <laughs> oh, my puppy's very, very bold. You went, no, no, Samantha says, no bold puppies, just incompetent owners. <laughs> I didn't say incompetent. I what said, was the uh, word? I think it's just bold owners and that's because every time Samantha is here I always um, feel a real sense of oh god I shouldn't be a dog owner <laughs> I really shouldn't Did you notice how I was cowering in the corner there while she was here I felt like I was going to get in trouble because in fairness you do have to discipline the dogs and you do have to set up a little bit of structure and I'm just rubbish at doing all of those things Do you know what it's very hard though I think people take it for granted you know you think you're just going to have um you know, a dog just, just going to come in and join your family and it's all going to be easy and rosy in the garden. It's not. It's a lot of work. They take work. They need energy. They need discipline. They need love. They need care. They need to be walked. Um, you know, and sometimes in your day, if you don't have time for self-care and walks <laughs> and all of those belly rubs and things that humans like as well, um, you know, uh, yeah, I'm kind of looking at the moment of, as my decision as a as a doggy owner, as well as a full time employee, as well as a mother of three. It's kind of like, oh, are you a, a year of- into your puppy 
ownership. He's actually two now. Oh, two. Um, yeah, he's two and he's not my first dog. So we had a lovely little doggy for 11 years, but I was at home for a lot of that in and out of the house, working part time, those kind of things. So had a lot more freedom and flexibility there. But um, yeah, f- Fred. It's Fred. not for the faint-hearted, so it isn't. <laughs> it's but not for the faint-hearted, no. I, I would not. say when you met Fia, you thought, thank God that we're over the first couple of years at least, because <laughs> please tell me, Etna, that things get easier and no. they calm down. Oh, no, they don't. They just get different. It's Look, it's the same as having children. The stages change, the challenges change, but uh, no, I think, look, at, no, I think being a pet owner is, al- is always challenging. It's always going to be challenging. It's always going to be challenging. I had actually a terrible experience not long ago where um, Fia went out the, the castle park. She went across College Road and I couldn't catch her. And I have to say, it turned me off letting her off the lead so much because yeah. I didn't stop shaking for about two hours after it. I was so scared. I'd imagine so. And I think that's a really good point that Samantha made earlier. It's just that dogs will, will go, they will chase. So you think you know them, you think you trust them, but they're animals, you know, and their instinct is to chase and to run and to be a little bit mischievous and not to listen to their owners all the time. So you do really have to be careful about letting your doggy off um, the lead. And Samantha is fantastic for all her information and bits and pieces and she'll be back with us next, next Monday week, morning. We look forward to that. And we'll yeah. be back tomorrow for more of the same. Thank you so much to Ethna for all your work on today's show and to the lovely Tara who is sitting here pressing buttons and keeping things going. Weekday mornings from 10 till 12. This is KCLR Live.